You can turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. As you're turning there, I know it's going to take a few minutes here, probably for people to get settled since our kids' class is in the back. Uh, But just want to mention as you're turning there to the book of 1 Corinthians that we've made uh, several just small little invite cards. They're the size of a business card and basically just say you're invited. And there's we probably have a thousand of these or more. And there's a stack on the red table there. If you want to take any of them, go for for it. if we run out, we'll just grab more and put them in the stack there. But wanted to make you aware of those. They're nice just to have. Uh, if you're talking to somebody and want to give somebody an invitation to our church, it's got a QR code on the back uh, with more info as well. All right, well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you would join me there. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 49 here today. Uh, during my university years, I did a summer internship at a church, and uh, this particular church housed me in their old church building for the summer, uh, which was across the street from a newer building that they had built. And that old church building that I was living in uh, had a graveyard, a large graveyard behind it and kind of uh, in off to the side. And uh, I spent the whole summer living in that church right there by the graveyard. Some of the uh, graves went back a hundred years or more. And at first, I the first night or two especially that I was there, I just found it a little bit eerie, a little bit creepy, uh, especially after dark. You might hear a noise or something like that in the building and just wonder what on earth was going on and, and get spooked. But over time, I got used to it. That is until uh, one day I noticed, I looked out the window and I noticed there was a backhoe and a couple of men and they were exhuming uh, a couple graves. They were digging up graves, I, I assumed to move them, perhaps examine them or something. I'm not really sure. Uh, but I look out and I see at one point this backhoe has this, it, it, it's, it's uh, lifted up a casket out of a grave. It's got it way up in the air, hanging there by chains. Now I understand that my mind turns in interesting ways. Maybe yours wouldn't turn this way, but I'm watching this and all these questions are going through my mind. Like, what if it slips? And what if he drops the casket? Uh, and it slips out of the chains and it, it opens up. Or what does the decomposing corpse in that box look like now? I, I don't know how long it's been there. Death and decomposition are not a pretty picture And it makes you wonder things like this. How can people possibly rise from the grave when their bodies have rotted away like that? Or their ashes. You think about people that have been uh, cremated and perhaps their ashes have, have, have been scattered across the earth and disseminated. People struggle to fathom what the resurrection body will be like. It's somewhat incomprehensible how this could happen at all. Some of the Corinthians were saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. God's people aren't going to rise bodily from the grave. As we've seen in 1 Corinthians in the last few weeks, the Bible says that that will happen. And the Bible also explains uh, that Christ's resurrection demands our own resurrection. If Christ rose like he did, then his people will too. Our text today tells us that not only will there be a resurrection of the body, but it also tells us what the resurrection of the body will be like. Believers will experience a glorious, awesome bodily resurrection. I've invited you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. I want to read from verse 35 down through verse 49 and ask you to follow along. Paul writes, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? 
You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. And to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Those are some wonderful, wonderful words. Verse 35 opens up with two questions. How are the dead raised? And number two, with what kind of body do they come? What does this resurrection body look like? Uh, These are questions that I would imagine that you and I have. I would certainly be curious about that. God says that one day I'll have a resurrection body. Tell me more. That sounds awesome. But these are not honest questions on the part of the Corinthians. They're not requesting more info or asking about the way or the means or or what this is going to be like or anything like that. These questions are actually objections to the very possibility of a bodily resurrection. The questions are like this. How could that be? How is that even possible? What would a decomposed, resurrected body even look like? These are skeptical questions. How do we know that? Well, because if they weren't, the Spirit of God wouldn't respond that the, way that he, the way that he does in verse 36. In verse 36, God responds this way to, to those questions. He says, you foolish person. The fool in the Old Testament was the person who did not factor God into the equation. As the Spirit of God answers these foolish objections in this passage, uh, what happens actually for us is we become the, the blessed and informed recipients of some wonderful teaching about the future resurrection and our future bodies. What does the future hold? What will this be like? We want to look together today at two facts about God. Here's the first one. God is able to raise believers bodily from the dead. The Corinthians are questioning if it's even possible. And the Spirit of God responds, you fool. You have not factored God into the equation. The Spirit of God, uh, then after saying that, he invites uh, the Corinthians and us as well to look in a couple different directions. First, look at what God does with seeds. That's the first direction that God invites us to look. Look with me back at verses 35 to 38. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. 
What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. How a decomposed body could be resurrected seems incomprehensible. I can't really wrap my mind around that. And yet God gives us an analogy from his inanimate creation to make sense of it. And he just says, look at what God does with seeds. Before you ever have a plant, what happens? You you put a seed in the ground and it dies. And it begins to decompose and rot in the ground. That's what verse 36 is saying. And then verse 37, the seed and the plant, they're they're the same. When you you plant uh, corn, you get corn. You plant beans, you get beans. Uh, The seed and the plant are the same, but they're actually very different. What you put in the ground and what comes out of the ground, they look totally different. That's verse 37. And then verse 38, each kind of seed produces a different kind of plant. They're all different kinds of seeds, and they all produce a different type of plant. And all those plants look different. The process just described, when you think about it, is an absolute miracle. But none of us would question it because we see it every year. We've seen it over the last few weeks. Some of you have planted gardens. Some of you have planted uh, flowers or other things. And you put seeds in the dirt and things shot forth. Just think about that for a moment. That's a miracle. And God does that kind of thing. The seed analogy points not so much to a different body than the one you currently have, but to the transformation of your body. Just as the seed's transformed into a plant. That's the type of thing that will happen. God is able to raise believers bodily from the dead. He says, look at what God does with seeds. And then he invites us to look in another direction. Look at the variety of life forms that God has created. Join me in verse 38 down through verse 41 again, please. But God gives it, speaking of the seed, a body as he has chosen. And each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun and the idea of glory, there's splendor. There's one splendor of the sun and another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory or splendor. As you look at God's creation, there are a variety of life forms on earth and in the heavens. And everything that God has made, it has its own unique shape. Every plant, every tree, every star, every animal. It has its own unique shape or body, to use the word of this text, or form of existence. And each one of that ha- those has its own glory. Every part of God's creation has its own unique splendor or majesty or magnificence. Why is God saying all of this? Why is he saying, well, look at the sun, moon, and stars. Look at all the animals that I've made. Look at all the plants that I've made. Well, apparently he was saying all this to remind us that God can create whatever kind of body that he wants and he can suit that body with everything that it needs for its own unique manner of existence and fill it with radiance, splendor, and glory. Just think about the difference for a moment between, say, a bald eagle and a dolphin. I watched a bald eagle. I, I, I was driving and saw this, uh, a couple bald eagles, 
and it was right in front of us on the road, and it was swooping down. And I looked at that, I thought, wow, what a huge, magnificent bird. And its ability to soar and swoop down and, and catch a mouse or a rodent or something like that. Just magnificent. And then you think about a dolphin. The bird's up in the air flying, and, and the dolphin's out there in the ocean somewhere, uh, living underwater and surfacing and jumping. And these, we just marvel at these things. They're, they're so different. Their manner of existence and their glory is drastically different. If there's any question about how God could raise people bodily from the grave, then all that you need to do is look at what God does with seeds. And look at the variety of life forms that God has created. God is able to raise believers bodily from the dead and give them glorious, glorious bodies, or we might say glorified bodies that are uniquely suitable, not for here on earth, but for, their, for our eternal existence. Believers will experience bodily resurrection because God is able to raise believers bodily from the dead. But he's not just able to do it. He will do it. And God turns our attention now to the nature of what our resurrection bodies will be like. And that's our second fact. God will raise believers with glorified bodies. They're glorified. Look at verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What God said in the previous paragraph about seeds and all these various life forms that he's created, he now says that's what the resurrection is going to be like. And the resurrection of your bodies. God's saying, I will raise my people from their graves like the transformation of a seed to a plant and I will give them glorious bodies that are perfectly uh, suitable for their eternal heavenly existence. Well, that's awesome. Tell me more. What, what will our glorified bodies be like? Well, they will be far superior to our earthly bodies. Uh, verses 42 to 44 contrast our currently, current bodies to our future ones. Our glorified bodies will be imperishable. Look at verse 42. So it is with our re- the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. And he's continuing the seed analogy. What goes into the ground is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Uh, Perishable means subject to decay and deterioration. Everything on earth here is like that, including our physical bodies. We understand this concept well. We speak of perishable goods. You go to the grocery store and almost every item that that you see, it has an expiration date. Or you'll see labels that say, uh, best used by this date. That gallon of milk will perish in short order. If you don't drink it fast enough, it's going to go bad. That loaf of bread that you put in your cart is perishable. Uh, It it will begin to become moldy and dry and stale. Your car is perishable. It will rust and decay and it will need repaired and fixed. So is our clothing. Over time, perhaps you buy a new article of clothing and, and the fabric is strong and stretchy or whatever the case may be. And over time, as that fabric is worn and washed, the fabric shrinks and it becomes weaker and weaker. Uh, this week, I was wearing one of my favorite shirts, and I was sitting in, at my desk in my office chair, and I leaned back for a moment, and I crossed my hands behind my head and was, did this sort of thing. And as soon as I did it, my elbow ripped through my sleeve. It was quite disappointing because that really was one of my favorite shirts. Done. Straight into the garbage. 
Scientists sometimes refer to this whole dynamic as the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, Disorder, or something uh, labeled entropy, always increases in a closed system. Maybe you remember this from long ago in school. It's natural for things to get worse over time, not better. Things just they, In a closed system, things don't get better. Tires wear out. Metal rusts. And so it is with our bodies. They're subject to decay and deterioration. And this is why these current bodies are not suitable for the successive ages of eternity that go on and on and on and on. At the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, you may remember that Solomon vividly describes how our bodies decay and deteriorate over time. And he uses all these really fascinating images to basically say things like this. Our hands and arms over time, they they begin to shake and and tremble. And our legs eventually, they, they kind of begin to bend and bow. And our back starts to hunch. And our teeth become few and far between. I think probably all of us are thankful for modern dentistry. Over time, your eyes grow weaker and they dim and they start to fail. And your ears become harder and harder of hearing. And and in the modern era, we have all these things to help with those type of things. Our hair turns white or just falls out before it ever has a chance. Uh, Your mobility becomes slowed. And riskier. Uh, Solomon talks about uh, the fears that come with age and movement. E- even walking in the winter across the ice. I, don't, I mean, that can be a little scary if you're young. But you go down, the older you get, more things start to break. Our bone structure weakens, our bodily systems start to fail and shut down. Your body is in a state of decay. And you may be acutely, acutely aware of that. And you should take heart. Because God says what is sown is perishable. That's its nature. But what is raised is imperishable. It's made for eternity. It's made for the successive ages of eternity in God's presence. And the warranty on it has no end date. Isn't that awesome? No end date. Our glorified bodies will also be beautiful. Look at verse 43. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Uh, There's nothing honorable or beautiful about decay, deterioration, and death of the human body. In fact, it's often quite embarrassing as your body begins to fail and its splendor and beauty begin to vanish. When you're young, you change your, your children's diapers. You're so busy doing that, changing your kids and changing your kids. And as you become older, what often happens is those roles start to change and reverse. And it may even be that In this body, you can no longer even control the most basic of bodily functions. That's the sort of thing that that Paul is getting at here. What is sown, what goes into the earth, this earthly body, there's something dishonorable about it. You need your children and others to care for you as you once did for them. Uh, Similarly, there's nothing honorable about a dead corpse lying in an open casket. Can you imagine what that scene would be like? Apart from the work of the mortician, it would be gruesome. It would be appalling. The body is sown, we read, in dishonor, but it's raised in glory, splendor, beauty, magnificence. Our bodies will be characterized by glory, splendor, and beauty. 
Oftentimes, that which is beautiful, though, is simultaneously frail and weak and fragile. Think about flowers, for example, a a rose. It's extremely beautiful, but it's delicate. Or you might think about butterflies and all of their glory and beauty, but they're fragile. Or fine china. Our bodies will be beautiful, but they won't be weak. Our glorified bodies will be strong and powerful. Look at verse 43 again. It is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory, and then this, it is sown in weakness, it's raised in power. If you fall wrongly or you get hit or you find yourself in a car accident, your bones are very likely going to break. If you're out in the sun too long, maybe some of you were yesterday or today, just out there a little too long, your skin will burn. If you exert yourself too hard, your heart will race and you might need to rest. If a microscopic virus enters your body, you might get sick, perhaps even severely. That body, our earthly bodies, are sown in weakness, but we read that that it is raised in power. Our bodies will be characterized in the resurrection by strength and vitality and durability and endless energy. There won't be any need for sleep. And finally, our glorified bodies will be spiritual. According to verse 44, it says, It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Uh, you might read that verse and think of what the body's made of, its composition. Uh, but that's not what this verse is actually talking about. It's not saying that your earthly body is physical and material. And then your glorified body is somehow going to be non-material and like just spirit. That's not the contrast being made. Our glorified bodies will have substance to them. Occupying space. After his resurrection, Jesus, Jesus appeared to his disciples. And there's this account in the book of Luke where he appears to them and they're startled. They're horrified. They think they've seen a ghost. Jesus, he was dead. And it looks like Jesus. And they think they've seen this ghost. And Jesus says in Luke 24, verse 39, he says to them, See my hands and my feet? That it's I myself. It's me. And he says to them, Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Like Jesus, our resurrected bodies, they will be material. They will consist of flesh and bones. This verse appears to be contrasting uh, what's animating or giving life to the body. The Greek word natural has the word soul embedded in it, while the Greek word spiritual has the word spirit embedded in it. Your current body is uh, enlivened or empowered or animated by your soul. But your future body will be enlivened and controlled by God's spirit. Won't that be great? Your earthly body was fashioned by God for life here on earth. And your future body will be uniquely made, fashioned, and suitable for eternity. Uh, When I was growing up, my grandmother was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. I don't know if you're very familiar with that disease. But uh, she was in relatively good health before that diagnosis. And then once she got it, uh, Lou Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, at least as I watched my grandmother, once she was diagnosed from that point until a couple months later, she just... uh, basically shrunk and shrunk and shrunk and and deteriorated as she was living and lost all of this weight and her muscles uh, deteriorated 
And what happens eventually is you can't breathe, you can't swallow, you, you, you can't eat. And that's what happened with my grandmother. And I remember watching that. It's like every time we go and visit grand, grandma, she was a smaller and tinier and weaker than, than, than the few days before or the week before. She was literally decaying as she was living. And we look at that and we recognize that that is what our earthly bodies do. Your earthly body is going to let you down. And that should come as no surprise. But what a discouragement that could be as it's happening, right? Maybe you were young and you were healthy and then all of a sudden, even as you were young, you became unhealthy. Or as you aged, your body started to deteriorate more and more. Some of you right now are going through bodily hardship. Or maybe one of your loved ones is, and honestly, it's just really hard. Because it's every day. And it's constant. Or it's chronic. And it's hard. And you're suffering. And I just want to encourage you with the hope that we have as Christians. Our hope is not this body. It's not in this earth. What is our hope in? It's in Jesus Christ and the gospel and the resurrection. The suffering of this body is temporal, but the glories of the resurrection body are eternal. Our glorified bodies will be far, far superior to our earthly ones. And to add further clarity... They will be like Jesus Christ's resurrection body. That's what verses 44 to 49 are all about. Jesus Christ rose from the grave bodily. And what his, his resurrection body was like is what ours will be like too. These verses explain to us that there are two kinds of bodies. Look at verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Uh, just simple idea, there are two bodies, the, the natural body that all of us have here today and the spiritual body that we will have in the future. Two kinds of bodies, and both bodies correspond to a man. Uh, the one body corresponds to Adam, and that's the body that we're currently living in, the very first man. It's our natural body. And our risen Lord represents our glorified body. And we want to notice the way that these two men and their bodies are, are contrasted and differ. We see a difference in their power. Look at verse 40, 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, he became a living being. The last Adam, that's a reference to Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit. Thinking about power in those verses, Adam, is, he's described as a living soul. That's the language used in the book of Genesis. He's a soul that's living. And he became a living being when God did something. Remember, uh, God's fashioning him, and then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. A soul living in an earthly body. Life was given to him, but he cannot keep that life going. He's powerless to do that. If you go to Costco today or perhaps Shoppers Drug Mart, you'll find all kinds of different uh, beauty and anti-aging products to help you fight the fight of aging and enhance the beauty of your natural body. And on the one hand, we could look at that and go, hey, that's all really great. You know, like it's nice those things are around. But if you're not careful, your perspective could be wrong on those things. And it could, uh, your earthly body could actually be a, a body in, or, or, or an idol that's all-consuming. And, and maintaining its strength and vitality and beauty and splendor. 
And of course, we want to be good stewards. But if your earthly body becomes an idol, that's a problem. I think we all need to realize that we don't have the power in this body, the body of Adam, to keep life and health going. God breathed into Adam's into Adam the breath of life and he became a living soul. Adam cannot keep that going. And so I'd encourage you to examine your perspective on things like beauty and aging and, and so on. Is your perspective in balance with the fact that your body is temporary and it's deteriorating and you do not have the power to keep it going? Do you spend as much time preparing for eternity as you do taking care of your temporal body? On the flip side, there's Christ in the spiritual body, which is much different. How is he described in this verse? He's called a life-giving spirit. He's not a recipient of life. He's a giver of life. Unlike Adam, who was a, a natural body, who had a natural body and could not keep his life going, the resurrected Christ has the power to give life just like his. We also see a, a difference in verse 46 uh, in a sequence. Look at verse 46. It, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but, but the natural. And then the spiritual. Which body do you have first and which one do you have second? The natural body comes first and then you get the spiritual body. That's the historical sequence. This body and then the resurrected body. And this verse is a key indicator that our glorified bodies uh, will actually not be like the bodies of Adam and Eve before the fall. Their bodies were uniquely adapted to life and an earthly existence here, even in their perfection. Even before sin, they were living souls housed in a body of dust. That was their essence. Apparently, our glorified bodies will be different than that. They will be uniquely adapted for our eternal existence. Not made for earth, but for heaven. I think you look at how God fashioned our earthly bodies. And after he made Adam and Eve, uh, will you think about some of the desires and appetites of the earthly body? Desires for food. Desires for things like sex and, and, and those sorts of things. And God even said to Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the what? the earth and often as we go through life though those appetites have their place in god's perfect design we could find ourselves in our earthly bodies uh waging war at times and and trying to make sure all those things are how god wants them to be and yet this future body it, it wasn't made for earth it was made for eternity and heaven And maybe some of the struggles that you would face and the challenges with your earthly body now, those struggles won't be the struggles of eternity. That's very encouraging. And also we see a difference in origin. Look at verse 47. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Adam's body literally came from where? It came from the earth, from the dirt. And it was made for life on earth. It was a body suited for the present life, but ill-adapted for the world to come. And Christ, the resurrected Christ, is said to be from heaven. And his resurrection body and our future bodies will be perfectly suited for eternity. So there are two kinds of bodies. Both correspond to a man. And both bodies will be experienced by us. Look at verses 48 and 49. As was the man of dust, Adam, so also are those who are of the dust, And as is the man of heaven, a reference to Jesus, so also are those who are of heaven. 
Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. If by faith you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you've been united with him in his death, burial, and resurrection, that means you're going to experience eternal life in a glorified body just like Jesus. Now you're experiencing your natural body, the body of Adam, the first man. But one day your body is going to be transformed. It's going to be changed. To be like the body of the second man, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You will experience that. I will experience that. We will bear the image of the man of heaven. As we look at the Gospels and Jesus after his resurrection, there's a few other things we could say about our glorified bodies. They'll be visible, uh, as Christ was to his disciples. They'll be material, as we already saw. They're composed of matter and substance. The disciples could see Jesus, and they could see that he had flesh and bones. They're placeable. They occupy a particular place. They're identifiable. People will be able to recognize you. They're human, even though they're immortal. Uh, You think about the five senses of touch, taste, smell, sight, those things. Fanny Crosby was a well-known hymn writer uh, who was born blind. And she had the following encounter with, I think, someone who was probably well-intentioned. But this person said to her, I think it's, A great pity that the master, when he showered so many gifts upon you, she had all these songwriting gifts and abilities, did not give you sight. And she replied, Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition to my creator, that it would have been that I should be born blind? And of course, this caught this person off guard, and he asked, Why? And she replied, Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. And that's just... She spent her whole life blind. And yet the thought is, when my eyes are finally opened in this resurrection body, I'll see Jesus. What a great hope that we have. It'll be wonderful. Believers will experience bodily resurrection. God has promised this. And our resurrection is tied to Jesus Christ. I think it's easy for us to forget that the good news of Jesus is not something that impacts the non-material only. We talk about God saving our souls. And that's true. Um, we speak of the spiritual realm and, and, and God saving us from our sin, and that's true. But I think that we need to remember that the curse of sin reached all the way down to the material realm, including our bodies. And in even greater fashion, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ will transform our broken material existence into glorious material existence. The brokenness of the world was brought about by sin all the way down to what goes on in our human bodies. And restoration, transformation, and redemption are brought about by Jesus Christ. I just want to ask you, do you have a hope beyond the grave? Or is your hope completely tied up with the here and now and what you have going on in the physical condition of your body here and now? Because what the Bible presents is a life to come. This life is tainted by sin and the curse. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. And God cursed the earth. And cursed man. And made him subject to death and decay. And then out of love, God sent his son to redeem his creation. God came to earth to be a man in this type of body. And to live perfectly in it. And to die bodily on a cross for our sins. And he died, he buried, and he rose again. And the good news of the gospel is, based on what Jesus Christ has done, I don't have to earn my way to heaven. I'm not good. 
I can't make my sin go away. I deserve God's judgment and wrath. And Jesus Christ paid for all of that. He satisfied that wrath. He paid for my sin so that I could be cleansed. And Jesus said it when he was here on earth. Repent, confess your sin, turn from it, and believe. Put your trust in Christ and his work. And when that happens, the Bible said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall have eternal life. Eternal life. A life beyond the grave and a resurrection body in the presence of Jesus. And I just want to ask you, do you have that? Do you have hope beyond the grave? Believers, God's people, those who do, will experience a glorious bodily resurrection. I want to invite you at this time, if you would uh, bow your heads and close your eyes.